The following is a sermon from the church at Cherry Dale in Greenville, South Carolina. To learn more, visit us at tccherrydale.com. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's going to take a second for me to get there um, because I want to make sure that we connect well with where we've been in the book so far. And the way I like to imagine what has been happening in the book uh, reminds me of a home renovation project I did a couple years ago. Uh, A a few of you uh, helped me out in this project. Uh, Part of my my renovation project was doing a basement, and I really wanted to have a full bath down there, full bathroom. So um, as part of that, I needed to cut into the slab that was in the, in the basement, which is, uh, if you've never done that, um, don't do it. It's, it's a really bad idea. Um, and so I, I got the saw and everything I needed to cut in that, that channel, um, and then I, I wasn't able to get the stuff out, um, and so then I had to call reinforcements in the form of Bob and his jackhammer, um, which was a huge godsend. And we, we busted that thing out, got all the, the concrete out, uh, I laid in the, the drain pipe for the, the sink, the shower, the toilet. Um, everything's going great. Now it's time to, to mix the concrete and pour it in, uh, fill that, tr- uh, that, that trench up. Um, you can see I, I pulled a measurement to, to see how much depth I was dealing with, mixed up the, the cement, poured it in the hole, and then realized that I was way short of the depth I'm going, what's going on here? Obviously, what had happened was, is as I was laying in that pipe, uh, there were channels that were going out under the slab. There were air pockets and so on that had to get filled in with that concrete. And I wasn't accounting for that when I made my initial measurements. And so I had to go back to to Home Depot. Uh, I, I feel like every project, I have to go back to Home Depot like seven times for, for stuff, even in the course of a single day or something. Uh, that's just my life. Uh, but, but ended up getting what I needed to go ahead and bring the level up so that um, I could float it and everything looked flat again. Um, and that is what I imagine is happening here with the, the book of Colossians. For two chapters, Paul has been going on and, and saying, uh, look, all of your efforts to, to connect with God, to build that relationship with God, are actually fundamentally flawed. Because with Jesus, you have everything. Without Jesus, you have nothing. And that by adding to Jesus, you actually subtract from Jesus. So you, you aren't able to connect yourself to God and have the kind of spiritual walk that you need to have. And so he's been flagging that for them for two chapters. And so now hopefully it's, it's a bit in their heads And now he's saying, oh, but wait, there's more. Jesus doesn't only connect you with God and restore that relationship. He also restores relationship with other people. There are are all these little hidden channels and conduits of our lives that need to be filled up by Christ and connected and reconnected with others. And and he's saying, you you miss all that when you don't have Christ going under that surface and reconnecting. He's he's actually been flagging this since the very beginning of the book. And in verse 4 of the first chapter, he says uh, that he was was so excited for these Colossian believers. Why? Because of their faith in Christ 
and the love that they have for all the saints. Um, so he's already been, been pointing out there, there are two dimensions of your walk with God. Uh, there, there is the vertical dimension of your relationship with God that is made real by Christ. You're only able to have that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But then Jesus changes your heart and gives you love for other people so you can treat other people the way you should. And, and so he's, he's been flagging that, and now that we're in chapter 3, it's gas pedal to the max. Um, in fact, if you look at all of what Paul has written in, throughout the New Testament, you're going to find this theme that just echoes on and on and on. It's that a defining mark of a gospel-transformed identity is gospel-shaped relationships. When, when our identity has been changed because we're in Christ, we're a new creation, that echoes out and ripples out in our relationships and how we treat others and how we connect in community. And so Paul shows us this time and time again. That's the theme of our message this morning. Um, let's read chapter 3, starting in verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. The text says... Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know you too have a master in heaven. So needless to say, um, this... This may sound uh, like a very awkward passage for some of you for a number of reasons. I know it's difficult and awkward for me for at least three reasons. Uh, the, the first is in a modern context, in a modern culture, some of what he says about wives and children and slavery just seem like, dude, this is, this is backward. This is like first century strange. Like what, what, do, what relevance does that have for the contemporary culture that we live in. This just sounds strange. Uh, and, and I want to lean into that strangeness a little bit. And let's talk a little bit about how the culture viewed things and hopefully get, get to the point that Paul is trying to communicate in this passage. So let's, let's own the awkwardness there. Um, the other point of difficulty is these are three very complex and nuanced relationships. And um, I've, I've got a brief time here this morning to talk about it. I can't go into all the details. I can't go Paul Tripp on you with parenting. Um, we could do a whole series on that, and that would be awesome. But um, I'm going to have to hit some, some flyover points that hopefully will give you some, some frames for this passage that then you can dig into some of the practical applications throughout the week. And, and much of it is right here on the surface. It's very easy to get. Uh, and the third thing is, this is a difficult passage for me because I'm not knocking it out of the park in any of this. I'm not up here because I'm perfect, uh, the perfect parent, the perfect husband, 
the perfect employee, any of that. Um, I'm up here because I'm broken and in need of God's grace in these areas. Uh, I mean, I, I think back even just, just this morning, I had to uh, apologize to my daughter for, for how, um, how I got upset at her uh, last night, uh, the, the previous week, uh, there was, you know, I feel like as, as the children's ages go on, I mean, we're, our oldest is six, the next one's two, the other one's five months, but, but it's almost, there's not a linear growth in complexity in parenting. It's, it's exponential. It's a bell curve of complexity. And so now we're, we're hitting a lot of uh, challenging issues where, where the girls will end up fighting over things or whatever. And I don't remember what the fight was about, but I remember just even in the past week having, uh, storming into the room, being f- furious about what's going on because my, my work has been interrupted. I have to set this down. And, and I come in and shout something along the lines of, you know, I, I can't even leave you guys alone for five minutes. And, and here you are fighting again. And I'm, I'm upset. I'm, I'm in a rage. I'm in a bad place. And in no way am I communicating to those kids, boy, you know, I really should, should walk with Christ and, 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 and I should really have Jesus change my life. Um, no, they, they got the message, dad's ticked off and, and we, we better go, go run away and, and never do that again or, or whatever it is, maybe some kind of behavior modification, but that's about it. All they got was dad's angry. And again, I had to confess that and make that right with them. And in light of this passage, uh, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. That, that was not my heart in that moment. Um, so I'm, I'm not up here as a perfect person in this. Um, and and as, as a parent who's parenting children who need God's grace, I'm beginning to see more and more that I'm a parent who needs God's grace too. Uh, that's, that's what parenting has revealed to me over, over the last six years. So um, I need your prayers, and I hope we can work through this together. Um, as we wrestle through this passage, some of the, the difficulties are, are helped by thinking through why we have a passage like this. I mean, I've, I've already flagged the difficulty of these relationships. I've had more conflicts with my kids in the last uh, two hours than I've had with my next door neighbors in the last two years. So, you know, th- these are tough relationships. Let's, let's just be real about that. Um, and, and they are important relationships as well. Um, they, they are relationships that we view the lens of all of our lives through. We, we connect how we feel on a day-to-day basis with how we are relating with our kids or with our spouses, with our employers, um, with, with whatever that kind of next tier out from our, our spouses or our kids are. Um, for, for, you, for some of you, that may be um, you know, teacher-student relationships. Some of that may be um, coach-player, uh, landlord-renter, police, citizen, whatever that next sphere out. For, for Paul, that was slavery in the context of his day because that was just what everybody dealt with. That was the air you breathe. That was just the reality that people lived in. And for us, those relationships are complex. They're difficult and they're important. Um, 
But the complexity is not something new. I think we, we often look at these things and say, well, um, this must just be me. This must just be my stage of life or this modern era. We have these uh, challenges between husbands and wives and kids and parents and so on. And, and we look at it through that lens and say, well, well maybe it's just right now. Um, the, the story of the Bible is a story of messed up relationships in all of these categories. Uh, if you think back to our previous sermon series, the book of Genesis, we touched on a lot of these stories. And so some of these may be familiar to you and you may, may remember it. Um, first of all, you have Adam and Eve, the, the obvious one from the beginning of the Bible. Um, Adam checks out while Eve is being tempted and isn't there for her. Um, but then when she offers him the fruit, he accepts. And then when God shows up on the scene and says, okay, what happened? He blames his wife. He throws his wife under the bus. Um, you, you have Abraham and Sarah. They fight about um, who's responsible for, for not, being, not being able to have kids. And then when, when uh, Abraham is able to have a child through uh, Sarah's slave, Hagar, then they fight about how to deal with that situation because now there's complexity and tension in that relationship. Abraham puts his wife, Sarah, in harm's way to save his own skin. Uh, I mean, that, that's a really messed up relationship. And guess what? Who's watching when that all goes down? His son, Isaac, is watching daddy do that. And so what does Isaac do when he gets in a tough spot? He puts his wife in harm's way to save his skin. I mean, the, you, you just see these this generational patterns of brokenness uh, spilling out all over the book of Genesis. You see Isaac and Rebekah fighting over which son is going to get the blessing. Who's, who's going to be more favored uh, in the eyes of God? Uh, and then uh, you, you have this bizarre story with Jacob who uh, ends up marrying the, the wrong woman and wakes up the next morning and, whoa, uh, th this was not what I was expecting. And she's the, the ugly of the two sisters. And so <laughs> guess what? He, he says, um, never mind, I'm going to work for another seven years to, to be able to marry your sister. Like, talk about the ultimate uh, disrespect move. Like, that's it right there. Like, I don't know how you get worse than that. Um, and, and so God, in, in turn, blesses Leah with lots of children and Rachel experiences barrenness for, for a long time. And God is, God is teaching that the way that, that um, Jacob appraises his, his first wife uh, is, is fundamentally flawed. Um, and so it's, it's not a picture of perfection and beauty. It's a, perfect, a picture of brokenness throughout the book of Genesis. We don't just see this in husbands and wives. We see this with parents and kids, we see Ham disrespecting Noah. We see Lot risking his daughters, not just for his own life, but just simply for his own reputation. I mean, that's messed up. Isaac and Rebecca, we mentioned earlier, they, they play favorites with their kids. Then again, fostering another generational conflict that's going to go on for hundreds of years, um, fostering conflict between the Israelites and the Edomites because of bad parenting. I mean, I mean just, just think about that. Just, just think if, if your parenting practices had ripple effects that affected hundreds of years of infighting between uh, siblings. Like, that, that's just crazy. Um, you, you have 
Jacob, who on the one hand shows extreme favoritism towards Joseph, uh, gives him this coat that causes his brothers to, to see and envy that. But then on the other hand, when his daughter Dinah gets raped, um, he basically pays off the rapist and that frustrates the, the, the kids into going, on, going postal on the entire city and killing everyone in it. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. Uh, his, his son Judah, instead of taking care of his daughter-in-law after his son dies, um, he just leaves her basically to a life of prostitution. I mean, just messed up families, messed up relationships between parents and kids. It doesn't get much worse than that. Even in the institution of slavery, we see uh, several examples of just how broken this could be. Abraham uh, and Sarah, instead of um, accepting the, the slave woman Hagar after she had Abraham's son, what do they do? They tell her to get lost. What, what does a woman with a child do in, the, in, the, in that century in, in the ancient Near East? How does she support herself? How does she have a living? Um, she, she can't. And so they, they put her at risk because of the own marital struggles that they're having as a result. Uh, you have Laban and Joseph where uh, at first Joseph uh, or Jacob um, indentures himself as a slave to Laban and Laban takes advantage of him for 14 years. And then after that 14 years, Jacob turns around and takes advantage of Laban. And, and then there's this back and forth of, of competition and gaming and uh, playing the system between the two of those. You have Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, and Joseph, uh, where Joseph as a slave is taken advantage of because he doesn't have legal recourse or any kind of way to escape the false accusations that are thrown his way. We just see brokenness after brokenness after brokenness. We don't see this rosy picture of God's covenant people, which uh, to, to me stands in stark contrast to a lot of the ancient stories or, or holy books from other religions that, that tend to paint their heroes in the best possible light. Uh, to, to me, this, this provides the answer to uh, you'll, you'll sometimes hear when Christians talk about things like marriage, our topic for one of our topics for today, or uh, children or so on, uh, the, the typical pushback is, well, you don't understand, like, uh, you clearly haven't read your own Bible because in the book of Genesis you see polygamy and, and you see um, uh, abuse and all sorts of terrible behaviors, and for the Christian, we shouldn't shy away from that and try to pretend that's not there. We should be saying, yes, absolutely, it's there. Yes, absolutely, throughout Genesis, it's all messed up. That's why we need Jesus. And that's why Paul is pointing us to a new relationship, a changed relationship. But that wasn't always the solution you know, for, for centuries, people have been seeing, like, that these relationships are fraught with difficulty, complex, challenging. Uh, so what do we do about that? There were other solutions in Paul's day that people turned to. Um, there's this guy, you may not have heard of him. My, my kids play with, with something related to his name, Plato. Um, he's, sorry, couldn't resist. Um, his, his solution to this complex relationship is, is as follows. He says, the right of the father and mother to rule 
is a claim universally just, the right of the noble to rule over the ennoble, the right of older people to rule and younger people to be ruled. Slaves ought to be ruled and masters ought to rule. The stronger should rule and the weaker be ruled. That was his solution to the complexity. Rule and be ruled. Aristotle, another, another famous guy from, from around the same time, wrote, um, Hence there are by nature various classes of rulers and ruled. For the free rules the slave, the male the female, the man the child in a different way. Later on he says, says that the slave participates in reason so far as to apprehend it, but not to possess it. He only needs a small amount of virtue. Elsewhere, he says, the, the master and slave have nothing in common. The slave is just a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. See, the, the culture of Paul's day was trying to answer the, this complexity with a solution of, of, of authority, of power. Uh, we use our power to squash people who, uh, who we're in relationships with. We, we push them down and assert ourselves, and that's how we derive our significance. We find our identity in pushing other people down and push, raising ourselves up. And in, in modern culture, we say, well, well, that sounds entirely distasteful. I would never think of that. Um, but, but in our culture, self-identity and self-rule, autonomy, is, is the culture of the day. We want to raise ourselves up. We want to empower ourselves. We want to cast off any kind of relationships that have any sort of um, authority structure within them. And what happens in that process? As we do that, we end up only distancing ourselves from the more complex, more challenging relationships in our lives. We end up even distancing ourselves from our relationship with God who approaches us, as Colossians has spelled out, as, as the king who, who deserves to have first place, who deserves to rule in our lives. And so we push him away because we want to rule ourselves. And, and Colossians is calling us to, to bow not at the feet of other people and be ruled, but to bow at the cross of Christ and to have our lives, our entire outlook, all of our relationships put under the dominion of Christ and under his rule and reign. So how does Colossians speak to that brokenness? Um, I want to hit seven things very briefly, hopefully some little sticky words that will, will go with you through the week as to how, how Paul approaches this that's very different from the culture of his day and in fact we'll find probably quite different from our own culture. Uh, first and foremost, and I've been touching on this in a number of ways, it's the issue of identity. We don't find our identity in ruler or ruled, but in redeemed. Uh, Colossians 1.14 talks about uh, the, the reality that we are a redeemed people, bought back, bought out of the chains of slavery to sin, and bought by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that changes everything about our outlook, our, our opinions on things, our relationships with others. You know, in, in the ancient culture of the day, when you ask somebody what their name was, they would never tell you just their name. 
they would say, I'm so-and-so, son of so-and-so. That's, that's how they referred to them. They, their identity was in who their parents were. Your identity as a slave would be in who your master is. Your identity as a citizen is, is in what nation ruled over you. Your identity was always derived from someone else. And now we try to look inwards and derive identity from ourselves. And even that's flawed. What, what Paul is calling us to, what, what the gospel is calling us to, is to find our identity in Christ. Throughout the first half of this book, he's been saying, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You are in Christ. Uh, this has radically reshaped your life. Your earthly responsibilities don't vanish at the cross, but they fall under the power of the cross. Uh, the second thing to note is that of responsibility. The, if, if the old paradigm was rule and be ruled, those, those are just categories that people fall in. There's nothing for you to do. There's no, there's no imperative. But in, in this passage, Paul gives very clear directives. Um, submit, obey, love, have compassion, be just. And he directs people to do certain things with the gospel. The, the implications of where you are in Christ have, have practical applications that you can do. It's not a category that you just fall under. These, these relationships have been redefined in that way. I, I, I love the fact that in this passage, he's actually talking to children. And, and the word there is, is a word that would be used of, of kids from elementary age all the way up to age 20. Uh, a, a massive span of years, and he's, he's talking to them and saying, I've talked to you about the gospel, Colossians 1 and 2. Now, now kids... You're, you're 10 years old and you're listening to this. You can apply the gospel to your life. You can apply your identity in Christ to how you relate to mom and dad. Like, that's awesome. I mean, if, if that doesn't exempt any of us in the moment, that, uh, <laughs> that's incredible. What a baseline that he sets there. This is your responsibility. Uh, notice also the priority. Uh, in, in the culture of the day, what Paul is doing would be very offensive. You never say wives, husbands. You always say husbands, wives. You always direct your, your address to the person with the greatest amount of power and authority. And, and Paul says, no, I'm flipping that on its head. Because some of the assumptions that you have about stereotypes of, uh, of all these things might not actually be accurate in light of the cross. Um, I'm, I'm going to address this in a different way. And so in, in some ways, again, not relativizing or erasing those realities of difference, but showing that there is equality in Christ and that those relationships now fall under Christ's authority. Christ is the new, uh, new one that, that has taken up new management in our lives. Um, so we see, see that priority change. We also see connectivity is, is the word that I, I frame this. If, if you remember what Aristotle says, he says, um, the slaves should submit to the free. The women should submit to the men. 
He, he talks about children submitting to adults um, being ruled in those categories, but he doesn't talk about it in category language. He talks about it in connection. Slaves and masters, wives and husbands, children and their fathers, a very, very specific, you're tied to a very specific individual relationship here. Um, you're not a category, you're not a group, you're a human being who's been transformed in the likeness of Christ and therefore you relate to a particular human being in a different way, not to a group in a different way. Um, this, this, is, this is very important. Notice also the, the spiritual nature of the commands. <clears throat> uh, rule and be ruled are not, uh, are, are not matters of the heart. They're, they're matters of, of outward oppression, of pushing down, of subjugating someone else to your will. But what does, what does Paul command in this passage? It's very important. Um, to, to those who have positions of authority, what does he call them to? He calls them to love compassion, and justice. Those are things that flow from the heart. And that's why Paul targets issues of the heart in, the, in these conversations. And he's, he says, you know how you can tell if you're not loving your spouse for the right reasons? Why? Well, what happens? Husbands, you become bitter against them. When, when I love for my own self, and I, and I put my affections on somebody, I want those affections to be reciprocated in some way. And what happens if they're not reciprocated? I become bitter. It, it, become, it begins to infect my own heart because, because she isn't responding to me the way I thought I, I should be responded to. Um, she, doesn't, she doesn't show her appreciation back the way that I want she, her to show me appreciation. She doesn't do the things around the house that I thought that she, she should do. The assumptions that I had about how this marriage would work, if I just did the right thing, they're broken. And so we become bitter. Um, we, we see that the, the, the Lord sees the heart of bitterness. The Lord sees the heart of, of even the child be, who becomes exasperated under our discipline. The, the Lord sees the heart of, 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 the, of the slave who's working with the wrong motivations, and he sees the heart of the master who, who does what he does unjustly and, and pushes other people down under his own authority. So there's a heart behind it. There's also community. Now, this may seem really obvious, but when he says wives, husbands, children, dads, slaves, masters... He's talking to people who are all in the same room. Uh, that, that may seem, okay, I, I don't get uh, why that's important. Our, our society and their society are societies of fragmentation. We, we like to be around sames. Um, men, men will enjoy doing things with men's groups and women with women's groups. We have kids stuff uh, that we like to separate out kids and youth and, 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 and some of that can have its role in the church. But there is a beauty of a Sunday morning gathering like this where I can look out and see parents and kids and so on, all young and old, blue collar, white collar, all sorts of backgrounds in one room hearing the same message. Um, our, our kids need to hear 
the gospel. They need to hear the, the commands that mom and dad are hearing because, because as they hear the commands that are to them, they're also hearing the commands that are for mom and dad. And so that brings an incredible amount of accountability that comes along with this. Lastly, there's the aspect of unity. There's not just two people in any one relationship. You see it all throughout the text. He says uh, in verse 18, fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, what pleases the Lord. Verse 22, uh, fearing the Lord. In verse 23, it's done for the Lord and not for people. Verse 24, an inheritance from the Lord and you serve the Lord Christ. And then in, in chapter 4, verse 1, you have a master. The literal word is a Lord in heaven. Uh, echoing throughout this passage is the lordship of Christ. You, in fact, all throughout the, the book of Colossians, you, you see the word Christ, Christ, Christ echoed throughout, uh, emphasizing his anointing as Messiah. But here in this passage, Paul stops using that word exclusively and uses the word Lord time and time and time and time again, emphasizing that he is our master. We are under his authority. And it's only in the Lord that all these things make sense. In fact, as, as I look at my life and take inventory, look at the, the realities of this passage, I still look way more like Genesis than I look like Jesus. But Jesus is at work at me day by day, little by little, to transform me into his likeness. And what does that likeness look like? What does Jesus look like? There are a few things. In moments of frustration with those in, in, in these authority-imbalanced relationships, I often assert my rights and my privileges but Jesus laid aside his rights and privileges, and he said, not my will, but yours be done. When I express love towards others that's not reciprocated, I become bitter. But Jesus is the one who loved without any expectation of reciprocation. And you know how I know that? It's because I often don't reciprocate his love, and he still loves me. He's still there for me. He has always been there, and he always will be. He is the ultimate son of God who learned obedience, according to the words of Hebrews. He is, even, even though I struggle to shepherd my kids wisely and to know what decision to make, when, when to, 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 to say a hard thing and do a hard thing, when to, when to show mercy, he is the good shepherd who, who cares for us with rod and staff and leads us well, leads us perfectly. He's the one that took on himself the form of a slave and took upon himself the death penalty that only slaves or the lowest people in society could ever take, the death of a cross, crucifixion. It's the worst possible death. And he's the only one, when, when I find myself in, in positions of authority, when, when I'm an employer over people, when I have uh, a position of, uh, as a teacher or a coach or what have you, um, I, I tend to use that position of authority for my own benefit. That's, that's the tendency we all have. But Jesus is the only one who not only 
used his position of authority for the benefit of others, but he did it not just temporarily, but for eternity. This is Jesus who stands in our place before the Father. This is Jesus who, when God looks at us who are in Christ, this is what God sees. Not messed up, broken parents, broken husbands and wives, messed up children. He sees Jesus. And that should bring an immeasurable amount of comfort to you. It, it should, should bring joy that this is what in the Lord looks like to God the Father. And it also brings a lot of hope for those day-to-day -day relationships, those day-to-day -day conversations, um, that, that little by little, this is what God is making me into. Little by little, what God sees me to be in Christ is what he is making me to be. Our identity transforms not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with these very important and difficult relationships in life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's um, not always easy, not always what we want to hear, but it's what we need to hear. We thank you that you speak into not just the easy relationships, but also into the difficult relationships. We pray that um, you would be with each one of us as we seek to live out these relationships in a way that glorifies you and draws others closer to you. Uh, I pray that uh, these these seven concepts would be things that echo in our lives throughout this week, that our identity would shape our practices and our relationships with others. I pray that your grace would be with us. We can't do this without your grace. We need you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.